Thank you, Larry. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. I think the first time most of us heard that was on a Keith Green album years ago, and that was a reprieve he had uh, in the middle of it. Absolutely beautiful. And because we have many people traveling today, I, I, what I want to say now will not be spoken to many who need to hear it because they aren't here, but... <laughs> but I do want to say something personal before I begin. I just want to thank this church for the way over the years you've been so generous with me, and I just want to thank you. There are times when my wife was hospitalized and I was off the job sometimes for a whole month. You didn't dock me. <laughs> you still wrote the check every month. Thank you. And years ago, when it seemed God's will to cut my salary in half, and I asked the elders to do that and activated my Social Security, which meant about a third loss of my income, the elders said we want to establish a fund that people can contribute to to make up that difference. And I've tried to never know who has contributed to that fund because I don't want to ever be accused of favoring anybody because they support me. But whoever you are, thank you for all these years of faithfully supporting me. You have been so generous. Thank you. Exodus chapter 13, beginning with... Um, Verse 16, I believe. <clears throat> now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines even though it was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The Israelites knew their destination. It had been promised to Abraham, their ancestor. God had said to Abraham three occasions, 
This land is yours. On one occasion, from a mountaintop, he said, Look all around, north, south, east, and west. I will give this to your descendants. On another occasion, he said, Walk up and down the land, and every place you walk, I'll give this land to your descendants. And not only that, as they were beginning the journey, if you notice in Exodus 13:5, God told them where they were going. And so they knew their destination. But even so, it was a journey that none of them had ever made. They had never traveled from Goshen to Canaan. It was a long journey. Now, there were two ways. One was the short way. They could have immediately gone north along the seacoast through the land of the Philistines. And human reason would have said, that's the way to go. Why not do it quickly, get it done? Travel north, then turn right, and you're there. But God said, no, you're going to take the long way. The overland route into the wilderness of Sinai, into the difficult parts of the land. This would not be an easy way, the long way. It would be a way in which at times there would be no food available, At times there were no streams and no water available. It would take them through regions where at times they would be attacked by hostile tribes. And yet God said, take the long way. And they did. They didn't know the way. They didn't know how to negotiate the wilderness. They took the long way. And yet they had this assurance that as they travel through this strange land, they would not take the wrong path. Because by day God led them with a cloud, and by night there was fire. God's presence was there, and God led them. There was no doubt which way they should go. Now, my brother and sister, I think we're entering a time in which we need to be led by God in a way that perhaps has not been more intensely needed in my lifetime since probably World War II. Even people who do not have any kind of spiritual discernment have the sense that we're entering a time of deep uncertainty. And the landmarks that we have looked at in the past, in some cases are being removed, and in some cases, if they're still there, are not fully relevant. The world is changing in nation after nation. Financially, this world is in a mess. (laughs) Even after the National International Bank bailed out Greece, they're in debt again. (laughs) And I heard last week, and whether or not it is true, because I have no way to evaluate these things, that if our federal government confiscated all of the wealth of every billionaire in America and all the wealth of every millionaire in America and applied that to the national debt, it wouldn't be enough to pay it. 
Is there any way out of this mess we're in <laughs> financially? The world and our nation is in a time of financial turmoil. We're in a time of religious turmoil. The Muslim Brotherhood is taking over nation after nation. And in churches, where, uh, countries where that is not true, we see a weak church, in some cases, a church that is so compromised you can't tell the difference between it and the world. And governments are falling as one revolutionary group after another takes over. And then here's another one. <laughs> and the revolutions seem to never end. An America which has enjoyed an amazingly privileged place in the world for the last two or three centuries is being eroded and being changed. As a matter of fact, our president says it is his agenda to change America. Newspapers, television, present things in such a biased fashion that it's becoming just difficult to overcome the bad press that Christianity is receiving. Pierce Morgan, a week or so ago, had Rick Warren as his guest, and there was such a mocking tone in Pierce Morgan's, Morgan's voice. And he said, you know, the Bible's stance on same-sex marriage is so outdated, and so the Bible needs to be amended. Here's what he said. Both the Bible and the Constitution are well-intentioned, but they're basically inherently flawed. Hence, the Bible needs to be amended. He said this to Warren. You and I know the Bible is in many places a flawed document. My point to you about gay rights, for example, it's time to amend the Bible. You should compile a new Bible, Pierce Morgan declared. That's kind of bold, isn't it? <laughs> but imagine we'd be surprised to find out how many really thought that way in places of influence today. There is a man whose last name is Stark. He has written a book about all the stories that Christianity is failing are false. And he talks about the vibrancy of Christianity in America. It's a wonderful book, a very encouraging book. But he says, as a former writer of several major newspapers, he can't explain why there are so few religious people among the ranks of journalists. I used to be a reporter. The fact is that anybody in the city room who went to church kept it to himself or herself because it wasn't the end thing. I'm not quite sure how this happened to the media, but it did. And as a consequence, they always play the stories like there are hundreds of millions of atheists out there who are feeling really terrible because there's a scene of Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus on the courthouse lawn. And then he poo-poos that, that there aren't that many atheists. 
But you know, we could just go on citing one thing after another, couldn't we? And yet anybody who can think at all cannot deny the church is under attack. And we must passionately seek the leading of God to negotiate the wilderness that we're beginning to traverse in our day. After World War I, some of the uh, units, the aviation units of World War I, when they returned to the United States, picked various spots where they took their biplanes. One of those was Muskogee, Oklahoma. And the unit that settled there, the squad that settled there, had on the rudder of their biplanes a top hat with a circle and a cane. And so the hangars in which they housed their biplanes were called hat boxes. And so Muskogee's airfield was hat box field. Now, in Muskogee, when some merchant was going to be doing something new, or perhaps when the Oklahoma Free State Fair was about to begin, or some circus was in town, from time to time, they would employ one of those aviators to get in his biplane and with some kind of apparatus uh, exuding smoke to fly around and in the sky write some kind of message. I imagine if Chick-fil-A were around, he would say, eat more chicken. <laughs> and as a child, I can remember lying on the grass on my back and watching that biplane in cursive, write this message and that message. From time to time, I've asked God to get in a biplane and write his will in the sky <laughs> because I can't figure out just what it is. But brothers and sisters, in times like these, we need to become more intentional as a church, seeking the will of God and the way we do that is by study of his word and in prayer. Individually and corporately, this must become our passion in these uncertain times. In my opinion, the most important thing the elders do on Tuesday morning is not just make decisions but spend extensive time in prayer before those decisions are made. As a church, corporate prayer must no longer be an option, but a necessity if we're going to know the leading of God in these challenging days that we're beginning to face. So in the coming year and years to come, I hope that you who attend Wednesday night house churches will not consider the Wednesday night once a month corporate prayers a night off, but that's the most important Wednesday night of the month as we come together to seek the leading of God. 
This is his church. It doesn't belong to any of you. It doesn't belong to any elder. It is God. Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church. We must disavow human means, human methods. We don't want any Ishmaels. It is important, therefore, that as a church, we seek to discern the cloud, to discern the fire, as we come together and cry out, O oh God, lead us through this wilderness. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jim. One of my passions, probably my greatest passion, is prayer. And um, that's because uh, as, as I've lived my life with the Lord, it has been such a vital connection with him for me. And uh, the life and the presence of the Lord that comes through our times of prayer with him. And, of course, like Jim said, mixed with the study of God's word, which is so important for us to know the word of God as we go to prayer, um, is... is uh, that factor for each one of us that brings life. I've had a, a real burden and a passion also for corporate prayer, for, for the life of this church to be undergirded and covered and just filled with prayer uh, in all that we do. And um, in, tw in 2010 the elders issued a call to prayer to us as a church. It was called, uh, and is called, the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge. And that came forth from my understanding of what I heard in, amongst the elders and their seeking of God at that time was that as a smaller body, we were really stretched in uh, to man our ministries, outreaches, course we have the mandate to world missions upon this church as well and so they were seeking the Lord about this we we needed more hands we needed more help and um, the Lord led them to this scripture where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said in Matthew 9 37 38 the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And they felt that the Lord gave them a word that as a body we were to pray that God would send laborers to us to help us in our fields that God had committed to us for harvest and discipleship and ministry. So as we proceeded with that challenge, I, I was praying because I had had such a, a burden for uh, more prayer at TCF. And the Lord dropped 
this idea into my mind about having a day, a 12-hour period of time during one day where we could come together on a regular basis uh, to pray for the church, to pray about the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge. And, um, and the Lord even gave me a name for it. It was called the 12-Hour Prayer Advance. And so, you know, we all get a lot of ideas, but this one just wouldn't go away. So uh, I, I asked to be able to meet with the elders and share this, this, what I felt was from the Lord for our church. And they were very gracious and encouraged me and, and said, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, next year. So we started out with our first uh, 12-hour prayer advance in 2011 of March. And um, uh, I don't know, how many of you have been involved in the 12-hour prayer advance? see quite a few hands, and it's been very encouraging that we've been able to continue this and are now going to start into our third year of this but we really want to encourage more involvement. We want this to be a body-wide involvement. And, and not only in this, but in every way in which God lays prayer on your heart. To be proactive and intentional. Um, as we pray, we are ensuring that we are connected with God as we go to truly seek him. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about seeking God in these matters. Then we are going to be led by his spirit. We're going to truly be the children of God, led by the spirit, doing his works that will glorify him and will manifest the life and power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I just want to explain a little bit about the format of the 12-hour prayer advance for those of you who, who don't maybe know exactly what it is. Uh, we hold it on the last Saturday of every month. It's a period of 12 hours from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. That 12-hour sl- uh, day is divided up into 12 one-hour slots. Um, the couple weeks prior to each prayer advance, we have a sign-up sheet out in the foyer where people can sign up uh, for one of those one-hour slots to pray. You can sign up as an individual. We've had people sign up as husband and wife. We've had families come and pray during that time, friends, prayer partners. Um, it's a great way to, uh, to pray as a corporate team. And um, we have the on-site prayer advance and the off-site prayer advance. Every third month, we hold the prayer advance here at the church in room 108, which, by the way, is our official prayer room for the church, and it's set up in a very lovely way for prayer with kind of like a homey living room setting where you can go in, and and, uh, on the wall we have a lot of um, uh, a display of all the ministries, outreaches, and missions of TCF and who's involved and how we can pray for those various areas of the church. That's the on-site. And then off-site is uh, the two months in between every third month. And that is where uh, we still have the same sign-up sheet, but you pray at home or at a location of your your choice. I've heard of 
uh, couples or individuals uh, taking a walk and praying during that time. There's, uh, you know, you can ask the Lord. There are a lot of creative ways to spend time with God in prayer. And um, our prayer focus, of course, is, uh, does come through this Help Wanted Prayer Challenge where we are praying for laborers, but we are also praying that God will bring in the harvest, bring in the lost. Um, through those brought to Christ and those who come into the church, laborers will be raised up for the work. Um, we have prayer information available not only in the room but also as hard copies and also uh, on the TCF website for those who want to access that. If you haven't visited our prayer room, it's right off the south end of the sanctuary, uh, room 108, right over here on the right as you exit the sanctuary. I'd encourage you to visit it and just take a look at how it's set up. Um, uh, the last thing I want to share is, as I was praying about this, this time that uh, I was asked to share about the 12-hour prayer advance and, and my burden for corporate prayer, um, the Lord led me to Acts. That uh, we, there was a great lesson in Acts chapters 1 and 2 on the value of corporate prayer. Um, I was so impressed before I read that scripture that our elders, when confronted with a problem, didn't try to c just mentally come up with some kind of solution as to how we were going to deal with our, our need for help. But they called us to prayer. And I believe that we all know that we're called to pray. The, the scriptures make it very clear. Our experience makes it clear that we need to pray. But there are times, I think, in, in our individual lives, in the life as a church, that we are called to a season of prayer. And I believe that as the elders called us to prayer in 2010, that that was our call to a season of prayer. And the first century disciples were called to a season of prayer. When Jesus, after he had been raised from the dead and was ready to ascend to be on the right hand of God, he said in Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So in Acts chapter 1, it says, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together consistently or constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, we all know the rest of the story, how the Holy Spirit came in power, how uh, many were there who heard the word of God, Peter's uh, famous initial sermon that gathered in 3,000 souls to the church that day. And in Acts 2, then it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
And then at the end of chapter 2, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Out of that first century prayer gathering, the disciples waiting on the Lord, seeking him and obediently and intentionally, the Lord brought great power, grace, and an amazing harvest. And as we wait on the Lord in obedience to his call during this time, I believe we're going to see a harvest. I also believe we're going to be endued with fresh strength, new strength, fresh power, and laborers for the harvest. So I'd like to end with a short prayer from um, Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a 19th century pastor, teacher, and a great man of prayer. So I'm going to offer one of his prayers as we close. Our Father who is in heaven, you who are so unspeakably willing to give us the Holy Spirit in power, hear our humble prayer. Open our eyes, we pray you, that we may realize fully the low estate of your church and people, and as fully what treasures of grace and power you are willing to bestow in answer to the fervent prayer of a united church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I agree with Susie in the power of prayer, and I know that there is power in prayer, and prayer changes things. But the problem is I look at my little life, and I think, how come if I know this, I don't pray more? And so over the years, the Lord has given me ways to help make my practical life be more in line with this powerful understanding of prayer. And so I've been asked to just share how God has used that in my life. But I'd say the first thing that God did to help me in this area is Christina and I, a couple years ago, we felt like we weren't going to talk about any situation or any person without praying for it. You know how you say, oh, so-and-so's sick or they're struggling in this area. So as we would just share the normal days, the conversations, we would stop and we would pray. And that just brought such joy to my heart because I knew we were making an impact on changing those situations. Because I am not a good prayer by myself. I just get scattered and distracted. And so I need the help of other people. And so when someone, another, the second thing that has helped me is when uh, someone will say, will you pray for me this week? And I'll, I'll say, I mean, I don't want to say yes for fear that I'm going to not do it. And I don't want to not do it. So I'll just stop and say, can we pray right now? And that has helped me because I'm a kinesthetic learner, and I thought, if I pray now, I'm more likely to remember to do that. So those things have helped me get my life closer to it. But I say the things that have really helped me even more is to have a purpose and have partners in prayer. And a couple years ago, Charlene and Patty um, set Thursday afternoons at 2 o'clock to pray for Good News Club kids. And that was so 
exciting because we could literally pray for each child by name, and we saw changes. But if we hadn't set that time in that place, I wouldn't do it. And the same thing a couple years ago, Vicki Burgard said, let's pray for basic this time, this place. So we had a purpose, a time and a place, and that was powerful. And I'm so grateful for Susie and the Granaries because we say we want to pray for missionaries. A week goes by, and I haven't prayed for missionaries. But at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, if I show up at that room, I can say, I have prayed for the missionaries. I have prayed for the intercessory church. So because I'm a wimp when it comes to prayer, I have to, I've had to schedule into my life to make it a priority. Well, Jim asked me to share how small groups have helped me, how, what I've gained from that. And this week, after he asked me that, the Lord reminded me my life would be totally different if it hadn't been for small group prayer. Because in college, I became a Christian in my freshman year, but by the time my senior year, I was in a very unhealthy relationship. But I didn't know it was unhealthy. But I was certainly bound in this bad relationship. And it was as if I was in the dark, and then one day I woke up and I thought, I should get out of here. (laughs) And so, by God's grace, I was freed from that relationship, and as I was sharing with some friends, the freedom I felt, they said, well, didn't you know? Several of us got together, and we fasted and prayed a whole day for you. And I thought, if they hadn't done that, what would my life be like? So prayer is a way to say, I care. I want to help you out of this situation. I want to help you set free. So apart from my life being personally changed, I have noticed another benefit of praying with other people is perspective. I might come with my little narrow perspective of the situation, and they might come with theirs. And as we bring it together, God just illuminates his perspective. And it's just so exciting to join with others. Like Susie said, it's like you enter the throne room of God with a whole new perspective, and the word becomes alive. He'll just quicken a a verse, and you just have the power to pray it. It's so exciting. And then not only do you get new perspective, but you get, um, you're more perceptive. Because then as you hear about changes in that person's life or changes in that situation, you go, aha, God's at work. And that then elicits more praise. And so I just think it is a privilege. I've come to see it's a privilege. I'm still a wimp by myself. But as I make it a priority to enter into these opportunities, I just think, wow, God is amazing. And so I would just like to um, pray for us, uh, myself, and I'll include you in my prayer. (laughs) God, I do thank you for the truth that prayer changes things. I've been changed by it myself. And I ask for all of us, show us your way in our lives how we can make prayer more of a priority because then we have the privilege of praising you as you answer those prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, really appreciate Jody's enthusiasm because she's going to keep you awake through my uh, plotting. Um, 
I was asked to talk about corporate prayer on Wednesdays, second Wednesday of the month. And I, uh, my wife and I are very faithful in getting there. And they start on time, we think, because every time we come, they're already started. <laughs> so um, it's uh, an hour long, seven to eight, um, and it's an encouraging time. Uh, I enjoy being together with the people. We faithfully pray for the missionaries. We pray for the church body. We pray for basic. We pray for the worship time, for the sermon time. We, uh, let me check my notes. Oh, one other thing that, that Dave Trotman is, which he's, I think, almost always there. I'm trying to remember time he wasn't. If it doesn't come up with somebody else, he usually brings up the uh, government leaders, and we take time to pray for them. So it is an encouraging time. I'm checking my list on what else we, we pray for. Um, anyhow, I think I covered most of the topics. Some uh, different elders takes turns leading, and depending who's leading, it different flavor. And we often get to end with a hymn, holding hands, or the Lord's Prayer. And uh, to be honest with you all, sometimes it gets very peaceful. And I have trouble after day's work... Uh, concentrating. You might know how that goes when prayer is peaceful. But it's encouraging to be together, to trust God and believe that he is working through our prayers. Um, Nathan is involved with a Christian group on campus and he's, he's covering some of these uh, basic questions like why do we pray when God's going to do it anyhow type stuff. And, and I'm not sure that we have answered those questions, but I know that I'm encouraged by the time in prayer And so let's pray together. Father God, we really are thankful that you hear our prayers. You do love us. You are waiting to hear from us. And I know at times that your answer has been no to some of my prayers. But the time spent together has helped me to see your perspective and to know that you're in control, that you you love me, that you have the best for me. And Father, as a church, we are really grateful for our brothers and sisters here that support us, for our elders that help lead us, for the times together, the times of fellowship like we'll have after church over food. And we thank you that part of that whole body experience is time communicating with you. We love you and thank you for hearing these prayers. And Father, we pray, I pray, that you'll motivate more people to come out on Wednesdays and to be uh, one more way involved with us as a body. Amen. As Susie already mentioned, you may remember in November of 2010, uh, Bill preached a sermon with the elders backing. Usually Bill preaches without the elders backing, but <laughs> but uh, this particular occasion he did preach a message called the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge, and so that launched uh, what has now been about two years of prayer, and um, 
My job this morning is to tell you that the elders, we want to persevere and go on another year. Amen? Amen. And uh, one of the exciting things is to consider all that's developed uh, in this little church in that two-year period of time. We were determined to, as others have said, to not come up with good ideas, uh, but just let things evolve, so to speak, out of prayer. And so I, I've been keeping a little list in my Bible of things that I saw developing out of uh, the Help Wanted Prayer Challenge. First of all, we have the blessing of supporting three new career missionaries, um, the Larrabees, the Foxes, and Rachel Shupak. Isn't that wonderful? Um, also, a new ministry was started, men's ministry, with a men's council. And um, that's been exciting as that's starting to get off the ground. Uh, one of the first things we noticed was uh, the largest new members class that I can remember um, in a long, long time where we had, um, I think we had 16 people and 15 of those were 30-something and 20-something families with children as well as singles. So young people, um, we see young families coming back to TCF, and we, I feel that's a direct answer to prayer. Um, I, I kind of counted up new families just off the top of my head, and there's at least eight new families and singles that have come to TCF in the last two years. Um, the 12-hour prayer challenge, our prayer advance was launched that Susie has talked about also. The building council was launched with, uh, I think we were able to um, carve out $13,000 for the building council to go to work, and more than twice that amount has come in just through people giving uh, to that. As Bill mentioned, I think it was Bill, the, the nurseries are, a couple of nurseries are completed. You have to go see those. There's a new kitchen being built upstairs to serve our um, VBS and, and uh, Children's Missions Conference uh, efforts as well as basic. Um, these chairs that you're sitting in, we were, the building council was uh, trying to raise money for chairs and through a series of loose connections, uh, a church here in town was getting rid of these chairs and they just donated all of these chairs to us. Um, the worship team uh, got a new sound system with these Bose speakers. We hope that's been a blessing to you. It was kind of scary because everything became heard very fast. And uh, we complained for years that we had the same sound, kind of muddy and uh, kind of awash. And so we got this new system, and then it was even more scary because... Uh, things were clear. Um, I talked to Patty and Charlene and Dawn about the numbers at the Good News Club. The numbers are up. The number of salvations are, are, are quite a bit up. That's very exciting. And then this uh, um, new follow-up ministry that we're launching um, next Sunday. I really want to invite you to consider coming for a soup uh, and bread luncheon, a quick luncheon, and then an orientation meeting where we'll talk about uh, the opportunities that are available 
to do visitation, either TCF visitors or uh, children who've been involved with the Good News Club at Kendall Whittier School, um, and also um, VBS families. So you'll be, have a chance, if you're, if you're like me and you, you want some kind of structure where you're sort of forced to do evangelism and, and discipleship, and this is a great one to do it. So thank you, Lord. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for all these good things. And let's pray that God will just continue to, um, to birth these efforts from his spirit. Father, we just love you so much, and we just sense your hand is upon us. And um, thank you for the ability to respond to your leading over these last two years. We pray for this coming year, Father, that there would be a new fire in our bellies, Lord, to pray and to see what you're going to do. Um, so we, we, again, Father, pray for zeal. Uh, we pray for, like the word says, to be devoted to prayer. Give us that motivation when Wednesday night rolls around to um, the second Wednesday to come join the body in prayer. Thank you for Susie's work and all those who pray during the 12-hour prayer advance. Thank you for the building council, the men's ministry, all these things, Father. We just bless you and give you all the glory and all the praise. To see your hand at work is such a great and wonderful thing. We love you, Lord. Amen. One of the key themes we wanted to highlight this morning was how important it is for us to pray together. Our, our kind of assumption, default, is that, that all of us here are prayers to some degree or another. And, you know, I'm with Jody. I'm a wimp at prayer, too, and I need help and I need encouragement, and I need prodding. But uh, the assumption is that all of us have a prayer life, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, all of us have a prayer life. But I think it's important for us to pray together. There's something special about praying together and opportunities we have to pray together. And Matthew 18, 20 tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Uh, you have an insert in your bulletins this morning, and I'm not asking you to read that now, but I would like to read an excerpt from that and ask you to read the whole thing maybe later. But uh, this insert's about corporate prayer, and the writer of this says, because we gather in the name of Jesus, he says he will be with us. But isn't Jesus with us in our private prayer closet? Well, of course he is. Certainly he is. He is with us always. But here in Matthew 18:20, the passage I just read, our Lord impresses something about his presence with those assembled shoulder to shoulder for the work of his kingdom. That work has to do with making disciples, including our own spiritual formation, and building his church. That's why we need to pray together. We need to pray individually, yes, but we need to pray together. We need to pray together because we want to participate in the work of his kingdom, and we want to uh, build, participate in making disciples and building his church. Sue noted the passages from Acts, which are really powerful when you think about it 
Acts 1.14, she quoted, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And then just a few verses later in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then in Acts 2.42, we read, they devoted themselves to, among other things, prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. So these things all have in common, they were together. And we don't know if they were praying together when the Spirit fell. We don't know if they were praying. We know that they were together. We know that soon before that, it's said to them that they constantly joined together in prayer. And after that, what happened? Not only did the Holy Spirit come, but more importantly than that supernatural manifestation, that was the beginning of the spread of the gospel. 3,000 people were saved that day. What was before that? They were together, and they were together in prayer. And after that, they were still devoted to prayer. So I think that says something to us, doesn't it? To pray continuously, as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and to pray persistently, as it says in Luke 18:1, to pray constantly and not give up. So that's the theme this morning, and that's what we hope that we've impressed on you with the individuals sharing, with the scriptures that have been shared this morning. So let's stand together. And at the end of my prayer now, as we close, I'm going to also pray for our meal back here. So you can feel free to go on back there and begin to go through the serving line immediately. We'd ask uh, parents of small children to take your children with you, and Sue, you may take Gordon through the line. So you can enjoy the fellowship meal. And we, again, we'd invite any of you who, uh, who, gee, I didn't know we were having a potluck and you didn't bring something. Please come anyway. We'd enjoy having you share a meal with us today. But let's commit together that we're going to continue to be a church that is guided and led and empowered and equipped by prayer. Amen? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for all these admonitions we've heard this morning about prayer. We're grateful for your word, Lord, which is so clearly um, seen where prayer is such a vital part of what you do. And we don't claim to always understand why that's true, Lord, but we know that your word says pray, 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 pray constantly, pray continually, pray persistently. So, Father, may that be the hallmark of this church in the coming year and always, Lord. May we be a church guided and led by prayer. May we be a church equipped by prayer. May the things that we can see happen, Lord, be a result of your moving in response to our prayers. We're grateful for the privilege of participating in your kingdom work in this way, in a way that sometimes we don't fully understand. But, Father, we know what your word says, and it says to pray. May that be true of each of us, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord, for this privilege of participation. And, Father, we do thank you for this service. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the meal that we're about to enjoy and for the conversation around the table. We pray that you'd bless this time, bless this food. And, Father, we, as we end this year, we thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. There's a bat.